This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Tour. Back again with you guys for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series on what is our honeymoon series. Thank you so much for those of you that have been tuning in to all of these pre-recorded episodes whilst I'm, of course, away, having what I hope to be a wonderful time that will be completely predicated upon what happens in the Brentford game. Hopefully, it sets up the week quite nicely, but there are no promises in the world of Arsenal, so we're just going to have to keep our fingers crossed. You'll know by this point, of course, what the scoreline was, so... You'll either be laughing at me or feeling very sorry for me at this point. But uh, in this show, uh, we're going to be doing and delving into the world of Arsenal fandom and specifically kind of about how the evolution of how Arsenal fans have looked at the club, looked at the ownership, how that's changed over recent times. And the reason why I'm doing that on this particular show is because the guests I've got on for you today quite specifically have... I feel, alongside the TGT community, one of the best YouTube channel communities out there. So let me introduce to you my guest. First of all, the host of the Highbury Squad, it's Sophie. How are you doing, Sophie? How are you? You good, Joel? Epic, Tom. Thanks so much for asking and thanks for having us here today. Can't Pleasure. wait for this Absolutely. And you say us because it wouldn't be Highbury Squad <laughs> without the other half. And how are we doing, Kev? We good? We well? I am good. I'm good. Thanks, Tom. Hi, Sophie. Hello, everybody. Oh, to all the communities out there, mm. at ease. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, let's start there. The, the last time, Sophie, we spoke about channel communities was uh, actually it was in person because we were at the live show in the Really Road Social Club uh, with Mike's show and Mike kind of mm. went on at length. I mean, he had his little placards with about a billion <laughs> pieces of text on to read from. Um, and he, yeah, he was very kind about both of our channel's communities. But I think that, I think I can speak for you in a bit in the sense that we do feel a bit of a responsibility with our communities in kind of cultivating in a sense and molding it to have kind of the right kind of atmosphere and environment for discussion, for respect, for opinions to be held and had and and listened to. Why is that for you and why has that been so important in in the growth of HS? Uh, Firstly, thanks so much because 
when we do get recognition for our community and we always call it a kind global community it means the world to us because when we first started out we really really wanted to build a hub of that gives people like a safe haven that they don't feel like they have to be monitored or um, they have to feel like they can they don't they have to hold back in terms of their thoughts and their opinions but we've always promoted kindness, um, no abuse, none of the usual um, things that maybe you'll see at games that some fans get away with. Now, with that said, we also have a fiery side to us, a very passionate side to us that comes out post-games um, and also the player versus fan uh, perspective with myself and Kevin. And that also kind of ignites our audience to have that similar and same conversation. Um for me, it's always also been about everyone having a voice. And I understand that some channels, um, you know, super chats and things like that are an important part of people's livelihoods. I, mm. I think one of the things that listeners tend to forget is, you know, there's a lot of people that don't make a gazillion dollars out of doing this. And there's certain, you know, tools and resources that YouTube has that uh, podcasters and, and hosts can tap into. Um, for me, I think you know, we made a vow very early on that, you know, we're the voice of the fan for every football fan and every Arsenal fan. And we're powered by our fans. And that has kind of stuck along with us. And I think people appreciate that too. So we've always wanted to be a platform where everyone can come and be themselves in a time and in a world maybe that, you know, people are picked on or people mm. dig out your comments. And, for us, I think we really grew during the lockdown series because as much as we were there for everybody, um, I think at times, you know, Kev and I also needed that boost um, during a time where things were really uncertain. So, yeah, um, likewise with your community, and we love jumping in. And when this is a live show, of course, mm. you know, there's always a lot of intelligent people that have a lot of good things to say about the club. And also when they don't, I think you and I and Kev challenge them uh, to their comments and their opinions as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It, the thing that's, that's been the weirdest about doing these pre-recorded shows is not having the chat yeah, box, you know, weird, to kind it? of reference. <laughs> it is strange doing a show um, with, without kind of that interaction in a way because it feels so alien. I have been assured by Mike that he's going to tune into the show that he did at 3 a.m. over in the US just to be <laughs> admin of the chat box because these are when these actually go live, there will be a live chat box watching it for the first kind of rollout of it. And then, of course, it will just be like a normal video. So there will be live comments going on whilst we're whilst it's going out uh, on the first playthrough cool. but uh, yeah it's going to be interesting to see how that reacts Casey what, what I find interesting from your perspective is you know it's I think it's actually quite endemic in a sense that there aren't and I'm trying to think of another example I know that the likes of Ian Wright of course has his own podcast and a number of other players that get involved in in podcasts but specifically kind of live shows where there is a live audience I think that you might be and apologies to anyone I have forgotten, the only former Arsenal player for certain that is kind of involved in this kind of dynamic. And when I tune into the hybrid squad or whenever I'm a guest on the hybrid squad, your interaction with fans is is no different to, to mine or Sophie's or anyone else's. And you there's no kind of air that if, if no one knew who you was, that you was a former Arsenal player. Do, are you conscious of that when interacting? Is there a sense of kind of duty to, you know, the appreciation of the fandom? Or is it just, you know, I'm just going to be myself and jump on a podcast and talk about the club I love? Well, 
Good, good point, Tom. I, I don't think about ever think, you know, I'm I'm the, I'm the ex Arsenal player and I've mm. got to act a certain way. I, I think the only way you actually get the, the truth is by being yourself. Yeah. Now, if I am myself, Sophie's a you know how good a host Sophie is, but my personality does dovetail with what Sophie's personality and the whole community tends to come together. So when you do interact, listen, I'm a talkative person. I like people. I've always respected the fan base. I'm a, I'm an Arsenal fan first and foremost before I was a player. Mm. So fan, player, back to being a fan. So I don't, yeah, we could look at pictures and footage of me playing, <laughs> But that's the past, Tom. We're talking about the here and now. Yeah, I've got history of being within, within the club. But I, I honestly, uh, truly believe all our opinions are valid. And let's get them out and let's hear them. Because if everybody's got a voice and everybody's willing to listen, that's the other thing. That's why you've got two ears and one mouth. You know, you're supposed to listen twice <laughs> as much as you talk then we do stand a better chance. And it's a breath, to be honest, it's a breath of fresh air. I always wanted to, to get on this side of the, 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 the camera to give something back. I think it's really important mm. for the likes of myself because of what I've done to give something back. And there's no, there's no better place really than obviously with Sophie on the Highbury squad and, and joining the likes of yourself on Guna Talk and, you know, Harry Sibiu and doing all the others what I can do, uh, uh, if I can, I will do it because I think it's important. Absolutely. Um, smashed it. I think that where I wanted to kind of take this discussion was to kind of go back to a certain point in time of where the Arsenal fan base was at, at one stage and where we've got to now. Because I think that, I don't think I'm saying anything controversial that this is probably the warmest I've ever felt the Arsenal fan base at this moment in time. It's mm -hmm. so receptive, so passionate in the stadium. The noise that the crowd generates, not even just away from home where we've always had amazing away fans, but there's always been a bit of a stigma around the Emirates Stadium. And I think that that has been blown out of the water in the last, not just this season, but the end of last season. And, and to be fair, mostly throughout last season as well. So um, what I want to do is I want to start from more of a personal perspective. So Sophie, when do you think is your kind of view of when you felt not just in the grounds, but also on social media was the lowest point you can remember the Arsenal fan base being to, to kind of give us a starting point. Um, so there's a good job. There wasn't social media at some points in the eighties. Yes. I think careful vouch for that. Um, so we'll speed things up a little bit. I have to say the lowest for me was towards the end of, Arson's era and you know the planes flying over the stadium and becoming that kind of club that we did for a short while um that was really difficult to take no matter how you felt about Arsene Wenger I thought some of the actions were extreme um, but I also felt like those actions were extreme because the club weren't taking extreme actions to perhaps remove a manager who clearly had given us so much, changed the game in so many ways, not only for our club, but English football, um, you know, his pink slip. And that's hard when someone's been there for so long to say goodbye. It is really difficult to pull the Band-Aid off. And the FA Cups, I think, towards the end, you know, added 
additional years to his tenure that perhaps many Arsenal fans felt wasn't warranted. So for me, that was the lowest moment as a fan that I can remember. Yes, there were low moments under Emery and at the beginning. I think Arteta was saved from similar low moments because of COVID. Mm. Um, If there were fans in stadium during the eighth and eighth seasons, I wonder what that would have looked like. In in hindsight, thank goodness that though we didn't we didn't get to know what that felt like, yeah. Because the narrative could have been really different too. So for me, mm. without doubt, the the Wenger, the last of the the Wenger years. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see actually, you know, during the seasons of COVID as well, if actually the presence of fans would have changed the results as well. Who knows? Like, because yeah. that because that I think we're seeing now the momentum that Arsenal have had not just with their performances, but when Saliba scored that own goal, you know, over so recently and the reaction to that, if someone had scored an own goal during the end of Arsene Wenger's era, I can't really imagine the fan base reacting in a similar fashion. Kev, I saw you nodding along when when Sophie mentioned about the kind of the end of Arsene Wenger's era at the club. It was difficult, you know, it was a really difficult time because you've got this guy that has been at the club for so long, done so much, achieved so much. And obviously there was years of financial restriction which, I, in fairness, towards the end of his time, Arsenal were spending money. You know, I think, but by kind of the end of the, the, or the just before the start of the uh, the 2010s, and when he finished, Arsenal had spent something close to like 500 odd million pounds on players. So it wasn't like Arsenal weren't spending money; they'd spent money in the latter years. But yet, we'd still found ourselves then dropping out of Europe under Arsene, or the Champions League specifically, um, under Arsene Wenger. So. You you agree I, with with what Sophie said, but for you, how was that time? And at that time, did you really think that that fan pressure, that fan build up, would ultimately see kind of the Arsenal make a huge decision and allow Wenger to move on or forcefully move him on? Well, yeah, I did. Um, I think there was a time after the Chelsea victory in the FA Cup where Arsene Wenger said he's going to leave his decision right to the end of the season. And, you know, during that, during that season, there were fans fight, fans battling each other. You know, it was, it was toxic. It wasn't good. You know, AFTV, for instance, were, were trying to do stuff and people were interrupting and there was disruption. And mm. Look, we, we always say, you say what you see, don't you? You say what you see. And if Arsenal have been poor... You do get you, you do get people going on the, the the channel to to say that it's been poor, but it was toxic. You know, mm. whichever way you look at it, it was toxic. Some of the people going on there were toxic. Arsene Wenger left it right to the death, and everybody thought, you know what, win the FA Cup and go out, go out on the win, go out on a high. And um, miraculously, he turned around and said he's got another couple of years. That put another log and some petrol on the fire. And um, <laughs> mm. I just think it was, it it, it wasn't smart. And you, you, you're right, Tom, we spent a lot of money, but up until that position, we still needed a centre half and we still needed yeah. a centre midfielder. Yeah. You know, we spent, if you told me Arsenal were going to spend 500 million and still not address those two positions, people would call you mad, put him in a straitjacket. But we didn't. And when you don't address those problems, and we didn't address those problems, maybe the last 
the latter part of Arsene Wenger's, you know, tenure, we wonder why we struggled. You know, we had we had some wonderful players going forward. We had a, a, a in, impressive Jack Wiltshire in the midfield. But where was that spine? Where was that bedrock? So Arsene Wenger, you know, look, for Arsenal fans ain't stupid. Arsenal fans are a very smart fan base. And they realised, hold on a minute, Arsene Wenger, you keep telling us we've got a wonderful dressing room, but we're, at the end of the day, we're not winning. And when we're in Europe and we're getting done 10-2, that's embarrassing for us. Getting beat is one thing. You can get beat. It's a game of football. But getting slapped five away and five at home <laughs> isn't what Arsenal's about. And when you don't address those problems. So from those from those years moving forward, that's where the, the that's where the angst amongst the fan base was. And it continued. Obviously, you know, Unai Emery came and he wasn't really many people's first choice. The the club went and got him. And we could we could talk about all the people who were inside the club at the time and all that kind of thing. And it went from, you know, we're gonna challenge to, mm. you know, working on metrics now. You know, it's just it's just one flip to another flip that's not getting the job done. So yeah, it was it was horrible and it was horrible to be involved in it. But you know what? Sometimes we gotta go through the pain. We have to go through the pain to get the good. And right now you could say luckily we did. I think personally, when it was lockdown and there were no fans in the stadium, we suffered terribly. Just like Liverpool suffered terribly with no fans, we suffered as well. People do have a go at the Emirates, but the Emirates has been pretty good to, to Arsenal over the years. But without the fan base, it was difficult for the team to get up. And, you know, we nearly broke another record, which we don't want at home, with losses, successive losses. So, hmm. very tough time for us. You know... One of the other tough times in recent times, and, you know, you bring up good points about Wenger and, you know, the fans being upset about, we we were just doing one marquee player a year, weren't we? That's And we were sold that the FA Cup teams could go on and challenge in the Premier League. That was the problem. But another low moment for me personally <laughs> as a fan. I think was, I can guess what it is, but go on. <laughs> do you want to have a, do you want to guess before it, I say it? it? Well, the way you were going down that sentence, I was going to guess the Petr Cech summer, but... No, I was oh, okay. going to say that I felt as much as I wasn't sure about Arteta at the time, I was really mm. angry for him or upset for him losing to Emery in the semi-final of the Europa League. That yeah. was really painful yeah. because I think most sensible Arsenal fans really wanted that moment for him to beat the man who he replaced. And so when we did the eighth and eighth and lost in that semi-final and then started the following season, zero, 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 that was pretty low. And that was one of those, oh no, where are we going from here? Hmm. But credit to him to turn it around um, the way he has with they do and with these players is unbelievable. So that was just an, in terms of recent times, that was very yeah. low, but a, a good example of a low that, was completely turned on its head, which is that was rock kind of bottom unreal. self, wasn't it? Yeah, it was mm. pretty bad. They say sometimes you've got to hit rock bottom. Last season, the start of last season, zero 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 was rock bottom for us. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I felt as though, you know, at the end of the Arsene Wenger tenure, Arsenal were on this slide and they were going backwards. And I don't necessarily think that Unai Emery, and I know that myself and you so can, can debate all day about Unai Emery's mm-hmm. tenure, but I, I never felt like Unai Emery arrested the slide in the end. I know that he, he took us to that Europa League final, we finished fifth, but I, I still feel like, I didn't ever feel like the fifth place that we finished in felt like necessarily the fifth place that we finished in, say, last season. I think there's a real contrast between those two positions, despite they're the same position in the league, the position as a club, I felt, is is contrasting in, in those two kind of fifth places. And so when Arteta came in, Arsenal was still sliding. We were 11th place when he took over. And I almost felt like like a roller coaster going down before it goes back up again. Mm-hmm. It was it was never going to be like a V shape where you just hit that rock bottom and then go straight up. It was kind of right. it was always going to be a curve. So it was going to have to continue and then gradually we would arrest it and then start dragging ourselves back towards progression, which I think we saw last season. But yeah, the, the point about the the Emery uh, Europa League semi-final, that for me was kind of the, how on earth can Arteta get out of this? You know, how, yeah. how could any other club in that moment would move on, for, I think, from their coach, you know, in this day and age? I think that, and I think um, as well, the 10-game run where we won one in 10 before Christmas, uh, that was the only game we won was against Man United away from home, which ironically was the first time we've done that since like 2006 in the league. So we'd only won one game in 10. No other manager, I don't think, at any other club survives that period for context of a, of a club like Arsenal. You know, I don't think that they, they survive. But he did survive. Okay. But before before we get to the Arteta part, there's kind of this middle ground, which did happen during, of course, Arteta's tenure. Um but specifically kind of more related to the owners. The owners take full ownership of the club in 2018 when Stan buys out the shares of Alicia Usmanov and then that triggers an automatic purchase of everybody else's shares because of the percentage being at a certain point, which I think at the time, you know, fans took real opposition to this because some of those shares had been in fans for generations, you know, that had been in those fans' families and they had no choice and they were being ripped away from them. Um and I think so that when we look back now and we go that it was arguably necessary for Arsenal's ownership if we were going to see them want to, you know, as we've discussed at length, invest in Arsenal and control Arsenal and not have to worry about another potential owner being within the boardroom or even just outside of the boardroom in the case of Alicia Usmanov, that even though it was a really, it, it sucked seeing kind of that attachment, that fan ownership kind of thing disappear in the modern state of football, it was a necessary step, if you know what I mean. I think for Arsenal Football Club, it was. Now, yeah. doesn't mean I agree with of fans course. not having that stake, um, but when you... Hindsight 2020, we, I think a lot of Arsenal fans will agree we dodged a bullet there with Usmanov, right? Mm. I mean, when you look at the world as it is today, in particular... Uh, and then you also look at kind of the the disarray that um, Kev's former club Everton are in as well in terms of the ownership there and the part that he he's had to play in that. Mm. So um, we did a show over a year ago now um, where Kev and I, and I say this loosely bravely, but we put it on the table to try and show, are the Cronkies that bad? Right? Brave. Which... Which which riled up a lot of um, Arsenal fans, in particular Gunnar Russ, who I don't think's recovered <laughs> to this to this day. Um, but it was definitely, you know, taking the line of these are businessmen, these are businessmen, and sports is their business, right? 
Now, I would say Josh is a sports fan. You can see that he loves sports. He gets into it. I would even argue that seeing Stan watch the Colorado Avalanche win, win the Stanley Cup this year and seeing him on the ice with the team, I don't think I've ever seen him happier and more engaged with the team, even maybe more so than when the Rams won the Super Bowl in February. But they're businessmen. And no businessman is going to invent 100% of whether it's their cash flow or their own money in, into another business that they don't have full control over. And the Cronkies are all about full control. And this is where Russ argues the point. Now they've been involved since this date. And our timeline is, yeah, but this is when. It's a great impression, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Where they had full control over the club. And so we illustrated, too, that the people that everyone had fallen in love with over over the years on the board were were willing to sell their shares to the Cronkies. These are people that were part of the infrastructure. Kev will tell you when he signed for the club, you know, standing next to the chairman and all of these other key influencers and key informers decided it was time to move on. And in the end, when you look at it, we're lucky that they moved on with Kroenke versus Usmanov. And then now when you look at since 2018, what have we done? Well, we've significantly invested in the team. We've moved away from that one marquee signing every window. You know, I would say the the, mo- the best window so far, as, as I know that some Arsenal fans are upset with the summer transfer window, but two marquee signings like Jesus and Zinchenko, when was the last time we had that? Yeah. When we signed Santi, it was Santi. When we signed Ozil, it was Ozil. When we signed Alexis Sanchez, it was Alexis Sanchez. There was no dovetailing, like Kev said. Mm-hmm. Where's that CB? Where's that defensive midfielder? So... During the protest, though, of course, everyone was in their right to complain about the Super League. It was a grab and it's not going away. It's going to come back and football is going to reset itself at some point, just like everything else happening in the world. But I do think that when you look back and I think a lot of Arsenal fans will sit and say, you know what, our owners aren't that bad. Now, I think what I would like to see them do is upgrade the Emirates big time. Mm-hmm. They are, uh, I, I, and they are slowly yeah. but surely. So, for me, as many mistakes as they've made, I also think that in hindsight, those mistakes were made when they didn't have full control of of the club. Mm. Some people might not want to hear that, and some people will vehemently disagree with me. But I, I that's my take, and I think Kev's on a similar line. Yeah, so not only on a similar line, Sophie, but you know my saying is 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 um, I stick to it all the time. Winning cures all. The, the fact of the matter is, the Cronkies will be judged when when they will be judged okay. seriously when the team are doing badly. But you see, when the team start to win and the team start to have a feeling with the fan base, all of a sudden the Cronkies are not quite a, a big problem. Some people still have in their heart that, you know, we want the Cronkies out. Hmm. But that swell of public opinion isn't there. Why? Because they're actually seeing the team function and the team move forward. And you know what? I, I mentioned it on our, the, the, the uh, Mon- Monday Madness yesterday. When you're top of the league, you know, a lot of things, a lot of things people are willing to, do you know what? I'll suffer that. When you are top of the league, you will suffer that. If we were sitting in tenth, eleventh, you could imagine what would be what would be being said. So again, the key is to win. Now that the Cronkies are in full control, 
They've got to prove that they can win and have a manager who can win. And to be fair, they've stuck by Mikel Arteta through some tough times. Although, you know, there's been some tough times off the pitch. There's still been some tough times, real tough times on it. They've had to back him ripping the back out of the squad, mm. getting rid of the big earners and building a squad that are likeable. And you know what's even better? When you build a squad that's likeable and you start winning football matches, Tom, Sophie, everything works. Everything feels better. And Kev, yeah. how much money have they eaten with these contracts? I mean, when I think that's Invested, something fans... as Eddie describes it. That's, that's still... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is still something that... Look, I know that the way we purchase players and the way we utilize our funds and our financial ecosystem is not the Abramovich way, but these are assets to the owners and they have given the green light to let them go for nothing because mm. we could get nothing. And and Kevin, Tom, that's a lot. When you look at the Ozil and Sanchez and even, you know, some of the smaller asset players, you can rattle up how many of I mean, them have been. Sof, look yeah. at Aubameyang. We let him leave and then next minute, Chelsea get money for him, you know. Chelsea pay money for him to Barcelona. Barcelona but, make a profit. Yeah, but for our, for our football club, it was essential to Mikel Arteta and the group that Aubameyang is out of the building. Mm. That was that says to me it's more important he's out the building than than the money. But for me, you can tell that there's kind of um, there's a real uh, that everyone's kind of on a level, and I think that was clear in the All or Nothing documentary of Josh and, and Arteta. Uh, everyone seems to be on a level. Everyone's singing from kind of the same hymn, sh uh, hymn sheet. Yeah. It doesn't always materialize into a perfect transfer window and I don't think the last transfer window was perfect I thought it was you know I think we did some great things obviously I think we left ourselves short in a couple of areas but everything that we did the Jesus the Zinchenko and the Fabio Vieira Arteta spoke recently about how much he when he saw him he wanted him the club went and got him for him you know mm. they've backed him and if you'd have said to me eight to ten years ago that I would no longer be cronky out I really thought you I would have said you'd be mad I really <laughs> thought you would and I'm not saying I'm cronky in at this point I'm on kind of cronky watch you know is where I'm at I'm just kind of observing monitoring seeing where we go from here I don't want them out anymore um I'm I'm I've seen what I wanted to see which was investment I wanted to see them back the coach with the signings that they want to make. I want to see world-class additions brought into the squads, and I think we're doing that. So how can I sit and stubbornly say, no, get out of our club still, when they've done the things that I've wanted them to do? So, yeah, that that for me is key. I mean, you know, eight to ten years ago, you wouldn't be able to go to a game without there being a cronky out or a you spend, we spend, or a we care, do you kind of something that was being said about the ownership. You would not be able to go to a game, but you will struggle, seriously struggle, to find any kind of, I think, cronky out, banner, um, placard held in the Emirates if we go well, to the game against Spurs. T Tom, I was at um, the... We were both at Old Trafford. You saw their mm. scarves and their display with glazers out and stuff like that. When they beat us after that match... Did you hear any Arsenal um, United fan or Gary Neville spewing about the Glazers? No. It underlines no. what Kev says, and he says this to me all the time. Winning cures everything. Last season, when we were playing the way we did and we were coming together as a team, did you hear any squeak from any Arsenal fans about Cronky out or the Cronkies? Not really. Mm. 
Very, very few. Very, <laughs> Our very boy Potsy few. can manage it, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, he can for sure. But that that is indicative, I think, and Kev said it for so long, like winning cures all that. And I would say to Arsenal fans, I mean, we should be fortunate that we don't have the Glazers as yeah. our owners, even though they too have a winning mentality in sports in the US. And I would say, like, when you say now I'm not really cronky out, I'm not. I think these guys understand sports and Arsenal is the next big project. And you can look at the trajectory of their teams in the US. They've done some horrible things. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But they're business people at the highest level, multi-billionaires. They don't do nice things to get where they need to go. They've also, his brother-in-law's just bought the Denver Broncos. And what is that all about too? They're, they're one of the biggest landowner families in the United States. That whole area in Denver, poof, wait till you see that in two or three years, mm. what they're going to do to that. So yeah, they own the team, but they're also about the land around um, Mile High. I still call it Mile High Stadium. Mm. But there's plans for each of their, I think, you know, they've missed the boat a little in the Denver Nuggets. That's going to come back. You know, they're not going anywhere. The Avalanche, that was their next big project. Boom, get us back to a Stanley Cup. The Rams, they ripped the heart out of St. Louis, yes. And they really saw a lot of, you know, community struggle losing the Rams. It's massive. We've seen what happened to our clubs during COVID, during these, you know, moments when there aren't games, how the communities suffer. However, at the end of the day, I'm sorry, like, to say this in the level I am, but it, they're business people. And their next form of business, I do think, is Arsenal Football Club because they've conquered that. They even conquered it with their lacrosse team this last season, yeah. winning the national championship. So I would say when I look around and I see owners, I'm cool with the Cronkies owning Arsenal Football Club right now. Yeah, I don't think there's an, an argument you can say that the Cronkies don't want to win things. You know, the evidence is, right. is there to suggest that they do, you know, and, and that's, you can look at that across all their franchises. Whilst, yes, it's it's a business and football is that and, and lots of other sports, pretty much all of them are these days, you know, they're businesses and they have to make a profit. Otherwise, why would you do it? You know, if you're making loss after loss for 10 plus years, and I know that Arsenal have made loss after loss in recent years, but you can see the strategy to try and stop that from happening in the future by making more sensible decisions in the transfer market and bringing in players for a lower fee that you could sell on in the future like you know Tavares for instance as an, as an example um and obviously now that we've kind of moved on 90 percent of the players that were really brought in by the previous regime we can start to see the benefit of what Edu and Richard Garlic and Josh and that combination with Arteta are doing to help the squads um and also there's a serious investment going on in the women's team it should be said as well and trying to get yeah. them closer to to Chelsea um and stave off competition from Man United who are of course on on the rise as well so yeah I, I think across the board the decisions being made are the right ones Let, let's talk about the fun stuff to round off the show which is of course where we are now because I, I you know you're at the Old Trafford Sophie in a game in which Arsenal lost you know and I looked out from the press box at Old Trafford and it was it was there was part of me that it felt emotional how much passion there is and how much joy there is and how much belief I think is the key word that this Arsenal team is something key I think what's telling as well is that it took as long as it did for Mikel Arteta to get his own chance, which I know has an irony about <laughs> it because we didn't make the Champions League last season. And that, of course, remains the expectation. I look forward one day to hopefully that song not being talking about on his way to the Champions League, but on his way to the Premier League. That's what I look forward to that song 
evolving into that because I feel as though this has got a fan base that really feels as though that they could one day under this coach potentially turn that song into that other song. Yeah, I mean, it was so I I I was trying to I think the 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 internet reception's as bad as Old Trafford as it is at Emirates because as soon oh, as terrible. our our goal was disallowed, I was texting Kev. They burst our bubble. That celebration was everything, everything. Mm. And I know you could hear and see it and you've been on both sides, Tom, and Kev's been on the pitch and he's been in the stands when we beat, you know, Liverpool 2-0 at Anfield in 89 with fans and stuff. Mm. That was the most outrageous celebration ever. I don't know. I, I hugged and kissed people I've never met before, which is just the beauty of football, going back to that. Um, the joy, everything. And even after the goal was disallowed, yeah, I think we all felt, is this going to be that kind of day at Old Trafford? That was the pin drop, but nobody gave up. Everyone carried on singing, whether it's Jesus, Zinchenko, Arteta, Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe, Saliba, which is going to infuriate fans as the season goes, that song, you could you could just tell. <laughs> it was real magic. And I do, this is why I love away days. I think away days are always so much better than yeah, home, right. home days. They're so great. Uh, but it's just magic. And to see it again, I was at the Emirates. Remember the uh, when we got kicked out of the Europa League by Olympiagos? Mm-hmm. Um, Simicast had a really good... I was like, we should get him. We should buy that. We should buy that, yeah, yeah. that left back. Yeah. Um, that El was, with the gun. Yeah, that was where you felt, okay, he needs his own players. Mm-hmm. And that tension in the in the crowd. And there was a West Brom game I went to, I think it was either the week before or a few days after, that it was when people started not showing up at the Emirates, mm-hmm. you know. And to go and from that and then see what's happening now is is amazing. And our can't fans have been brilliant. Can't get you a can't ticket. get a ticket these days. No, I was you need to know to someone ticket. to get a ticket. <laughs> they, honestly, it's it's mad. People, I remember I, the amount of times I see on on Twitter people posting kind of they're in the queue and they're like thirty, like three thousand or something <laughs> in the queue. It's ridiculous. I think I've seen one that was like thirty three thousand or something. It's mad. And Kev, that that sense of belief. It it has come from, I think, you know, and I don't want to go Arteta heavy and Arteta crazy because I know it drives some people mad. But when we've watched now the All or Nothing series and we've listened to him speak, he cannot stop talking about the fans. He talks about the fans yeah. all the time. He talks about methods to try and connect the fans, like with the, the Angel song from Louis Dunford that he wanted to immediately integrate into the club. You could tell with when we sung the Saliba song against Bournemouth, the following week, that song came on when we beat Fulham. Like, the, the, yeah. there's a connection. They're recognizing what the fans are building on and they are trying to build momentum with it. And I think Arteta's recognized how important that is because, you know, Man City aren't exact. And I'm not going to say he's taken that from City because City are known for not having the best of home support, you know, in, in the world. Yeah. So this is. This is clearly something that Arteta himself, along with obviously people that are in and around the club with him, have really kind of built this um, policy, I guess, to to try and boost the fan experience, the fan momentum, because he knows that's key into getting Arsenal back to the top. And I'm enjoying it, Kev. I really, really am. I am too, Tom, if I'm honest with you. I think, obviously, Mikel Arteta has previous with Arsenal because he's been Mm. captain. Edu gets it. He's been part of the, the Invincibles and part of a great group of players who... Sophie and I often talk about used to turn up those days 
And, you know, it's a matter of how many we're going to win. It's not a matter of if we're going to win. It's a matter of how many. That's that's a trust in the players. That's a trust in the Arsenal of, of that time. We had to. We have to get that back. In order to get that back, we need likeable players. We need players, I always say, who players, when they cross that white line, are going to give everything. They might not play great all the time, but yeah. they will give everything and, you know, they can tough out a win. Tom, this stage of last season, we were struggling. This time, this season, we are top of the, we find ourselves top of the league. I'm not saying we're going to be there at the end. I would love us to be there at the end. <laughs> yeah. Of course I would. But the point I'm trying to make is Mikel Arteta is getting the best out of these players by connecting them to that fan base. And the fan base, I've got to give 11 out of 10 to the fan base. The fan base have responded to it. That is key to what's happening at Arsenal right now. And yeah, it's going to wind away fans up. I was at Old Trafford. I was at Old Trafford till pretty late, to be honest. And mm. I was I was in a director's box and was speaking to a lot of the Man United hierarchy. And they were, they were saying how dangerous we are and how much of a problem we're going to be. Yeah. yeah, they won they won the game because we were they were so clinical. Yeah. But they good teams realize this this Arsenal team are for real. And you've got to give credit to Mikel Arteta. You've got to give credit to the players. But do you know what? The, the Guna fans have been amazing, both away from home and at the Emirates. That's mm. for sure. Kev got, Kev, Kev got me thinking about something when we were talking about whether we stay up the top. I tell you, I'll go out on a limb here. If we were oh, to win the league this do? season... Oh, okay. Now, I'm going to do something crazy. <laughs> if we were to win the league this season, for me personally... I think it's a greater achievement than Anfield 89 and the Invincibles. Woof. That's that's some against, goal, but I, I against guess... Against this Manchester City team and this Liverpool team and being in this environment and coming back from being on our knees and nowhere mm. and ridiculed and laughed at. Wow. I think it would I be agree. the greatest achievement by any Arsenal manager. I think, you know, the 89 season for me is a bigger achievement than the Invincibles just because of how dominant Liverpool as a club were during that era. Um, the Invincible season is amazing. Too many draws, <laughs> but it's amazing. Um, and it won't be equaled, I don't think, by anyone in it special. But yeah. The almost Invincibles that are forgotten. The almost Invincibles, of course. I mean, what a season, um, what a team that was. But this, absolutely. in this time... In this league, in this era, with these players, and you got Haaland and you got Pep, you got Klopp, the lauded, you know, lot down the road, the greatest Chelsea. duo of all time, Chelsea, the money they've all spent. I'm just Not saying, forest, like, I like to play, <laughs> like to play the what if game, the what if game. Yeah, if that were to happen, holy. You Holy realize cow. this is going out after the Brentford game, of which yeah, if we I know. picked up a win, you're gonna look pretty silly. <laughs> just put it out there. Hey, listen, it was just uh. jumping on Super Kev's comment and saying, like, no, but the, if if we're talking we about were... it. if I'd have said five years ago, Soph, that and if I'd have said to you, you know, after we finished eighth under Arteta, that in two years after the following season, we'd be talking about Arsenal as, you know, oh well, what you know, we're going, I I wonder, I wonder what this team is capable of. You know, I, I think people would have said you're mad, personally. <laughs> That kind of goes Especially to show me. 
Turner. Yeah, the, we. I remember the back and forths that so many of us have had with one another, and the the changes in opinion. I remember after that VRL game, I was done. You know, I said, you know, I think we have to move on. I think we need to give someone else a go. Me too. And thank goodness we didn't. Like, I'm so glad that we didn't, and that I was wrong about that because I think what we're seeing is is genuinely. I've, I feel like we're getting Arsenal back in a way with the way we're playing, with the atmosphere, which is the whole point of this show around the fan base. It feels yeah. like Arsenal again. Not necessarily. It's not like I'm not talking golden era. Arsenal winning trophies and stuff but going to games feels like Arsenal again it really does that excitement of not fearing who you're playing knowing that we're going to play some great football we're going to watch a team really go for it and I'm looking forward to it there were games even under this current coach that I remember going into going I'm dreading this and you know and I think everyone else felt that because there was the stadium was just full of nerves but we go 2-1 up or sorry we go 2-0 up against Leicester they get it back to 2-1 with a Saliba own goal. And that's a time in the stadium in the past where there's been nerves. But instead of that, Kev, after Saliba's own goal, it was as if we'd scored ourselves. I know our <laughs> yeah. player did score, yeah. but, but you know, it felt as though we were just yeah. going to roar this team to a goal. And they responded immediately. And that's, that's the perfect, I think, example this season of where this fan base is. The, the connection, Tom, that connection from fan to player works. It mm. really does. And as I said, I've, I think the Arsenal fan base has been absolutely outstanding. We've taken our hits. We've suffered over the years. Yes, we have. But you know what? Now I think there's a feeling, there's a momentum with the fan base. The players are producing on the pitch most of the time. So, you know, we've got a role with it. We've got a goal for it. And with Mikel Arteta, as you can see, he's passionate about winning. Mm. And he's got... He's building a squad and a team that are hungry to win. And that's what we need. Absolutely. We've got players we can fall in love with again. When you go into the armory, you're like, who am I going to get on the back of my shirt? Is it Ramsdale? Is is it Saliba? Is it Jesus? Yeah. Is it Zinchenko? Hold on a second. Defenders on the back actually, of shirts? What? Am I actually <laughs> thinking about getting Xhaka's name on my shirt again? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if oh, hands will go on that far, but that's... I mean, that's a great point. I mean, point is to have players that you fall in love with again, yeah. Tom. Xhaka getting his own song against Bournemouth. Xhaka's been there how long? He's got his own song. Six that years now. in itself shows the kind of turnaround but also I think it shows in a way that the forgiveness this Arsenal fan base can have mm -hmm. at times because Xhaka threw the shirt to the floor threw the armband to the floor turned his back on Arsenal was going to leave had an offer from her to Berlin was going to go Arteta came in changed his mind I don't think the fan base was that receptive to him changing his mind at that time but wow what a player we've we've seen this season um, and, and the fan base have responded to that and fair play to them and Xhaka winning. for sticking with one. <laughs> winning, winning pure, and I've got to say, I've never seen Xhaka play as well as he's playing now. I've Pete. never seen him play this well. And yeah. you know what? Winning cures everything. You've seen Xhaka pop up in the box. You've seen Xhaka have, score goals. you see Xhaka assist. He's, he's affecting the game at the top end of the pitch, mm. which is... Which is what we want from a from an attacking midfielder. So, again, the fans respond to that to what they're seeing. I call it the eye test. The fans are watching it, and do you know what? Nearly everybody's got a song now. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to the day Ben White gets a proper song. You know, that's that's when you know it's peaked when Ben White's yes. got his own song. Yes. Um, let's let's round things off. Uh, of course, the next game when this goes out will be the North London derby, which is a 
a spectacle in itself, but it's the first North London derby I feel since the Emirates was given life, um, really. I know that the one last season was great when we won 3-1 um, and Saka and Smith Rowe scoring, you know, and obviously the Aubameyang famous celebration of mimicking Thierry Henry's was brilliant, but, you know, it's, it's going to be special. So, Sophie, I want to say thanks, of course, first for coming on, but give me your thoughts as well ahead of that game. I think with these North London derbies, I fancy whoever the home team is. Um, and I said at the start of the season real quick, we've got to right some wrongs from last season. Started off doing that really well when everyone tried to kind of nail Arsenal early doors under the Friday night lights back at Selhurst Park against Crystal Palace. And we changed that narrative. The one I really wanted to nail was at Old Trafford because we should have won there last season. We should have won there as well. And that time will come, hopefully. The Brightons, the Southamptons, um, of the world as well. You know, those are the games that we can't trip up on. And at home to Tottenham, we got to win that game because we know what it's going to be like when we play away from home against them. And I think that we'll do well. I think that we've got them ticked off as a team that we want to get revenge on for the way in which we played last season, which was hugely disappointing, um, as we all know. So fancy us to get a similar result. It's hard to break down Antonio Conte's team. But I do think now we've got players that have a little bit of individual brilliance that might be able to turn a game on its head. Maybe it's not going to be a 3-1, maybe a 2-1, but I fancy us against them um, because I think Jesus can perform magic. Zinchenko can. You know, I think Saka's coming into his own a little bit this season. I think we can see a little bit more of him. Martinelli can do the same. Saliba shown against Fulham that he could just score a wonder goal out of nothing. So, <laughs> yeah. I fancy us against them at home. I do. So 2-1 or 3-1 is what you're going to go. I'm going to go 2-1. Lovely stuff. Kev, North London derby prediction. Must win, must win game for us. You know, 1-0, 2-1, 3-1, 1 I don't care. It's a <laughs> must win game for us. I think the way we played them last season, it's going to be a little bit different. Spurs have moved on. We've moved on. I think this is where Gabriel Jesus really comes to the fore in this game. We, we created quite a bit last season and we missed some chances, even though we were ended up being 3-0 up. Mm. But I think Jesus is going to prove to be the difference in this game. Uh, Martinelli Saka, we know, can cause major problems. Hopefully Partey's fit and re ready to go, rearing to go. And that back four's intact. I think that's going to be key. Look, we know Spurs have got an excellent trio going forward. But we keep them quiet. We win the game. It's that simple. I don't fancy their defence against our attack. So I'd say if Sophie goes 2-1, I'll go 3-1. Same as last season. Lovely stuff. I'm going to go... Oh, yeah, I'm going to go for a 3-0. Uh, a whitewash. Ooh. Lovely stuff. Clean sheet. Keep it Love. real. Um, we could Sophie, use some of those. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sophie, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to. Remembering yeah. the show is going to go out just before the North London Derby. <laughs> um, yeah, check us out at Highbury Squad across all social media, our YouTube channel. Um, if you miss our recent interview with the legend that is Paul Davis, um, please go check that out. Uh, we love doing shows like that. And uh, yeah, um, thanks so much always for the support, Tom, and to your listeners. I uh, hope they're well, safe, happy and healthy out there. And all is good in the universe for them. Pleasure's all mine. Casey, always a pleasure to have a chat with you, my friends. Thank you for coming on. Tell people where they can find you, of course. Yeah, at number one, Kevin Campbell. And you find me at Highbury Squad. 
as well. So whichever one you fancy, um, come and find me. Again, thanks, Tom, for allowing us to come and join your community. Pleasure. I give everybody the salute. I tell everybody just what I tell the squaddies. Tell your loved ones you love them and enjoy yourself and take good care because you know what? If you don't look after yourself, no one's going to look after you. Take care. And, and winning eat. cures all, as as Kev says. It does. Winning, Love winning it, Tom. You all. see? I'm going to adopt that. Uh, lovely stuff. Uh, make sure you do, indeed, listeners, go and check out the Highbury Squad. Amazing committed content every single week. Do not be not a subscriber to that channel. Because you should be. Um, so do go check it out. Uh, you'll be able to find me, I'm probably sure, tomorrow at 8 a.m., even whenever this eventually does go out. Probably nearer the North London Derby for context now, considering today's conversation. But thank you for listening. Do drop a like on the video. Do subscribe to the channel if you're new. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your Mook delivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.